0: Good morning. morning. Thanks for being here today, and welcome those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach. Cheryl and I serve as lead pastors of this great church. So glad that you're here today. Uh, Some great weather outside, and it's still a great day to be at church, to be able to worship with others. So had a great week last week with the youth. Abby, thanks for your testimony this morning. And uh, just a wonderful thing to be able to see through the eyes of Next Generation Leaders, My prayer is always the takeaway is, man, what a big world we live in, there's lots of lost people, and my life can make a difference. May we all land on that. I want you to know your life is meant to make a difference for the kingdom of God, and it can. One of the conversations we were having while we were there with uh, The missionaries who were there is is talking about the nature of hospitality in an Arab culture. It's an amazing thing, and it tied in well to what it looks like to be a good neighbor. The passage we're going to head into today, and I was thinking about neighbors and and thinking about how many neighbors Shelly and I have had, and and so I sat down and counted how many different homes we have lived in, and I shouldn't have done that. It was depressing. (laughs) So Shelly and I next month will celebrate 18 years of marriage. It's been an awesome 18 years. We love to look back and to think about all the things that we've been a part of. But in our 18 years of marriage, we have lived in 15 different homes. Fifteen, man. That's, that, that gave me reason though, as we moved in January. So we moved in January into the house that we're in. And man, I tell you what, I didn't want to move. Like I'm sick of moving. At least now I know why. Like 15 times later, like I'm done. I already told Shelly, I told Jesus, look, either you're coming back or you're calling me home. I ain't moving again. Like that's it. <laughs> I'm done. Oh man, moving is a it's a chore. So I was thinking about how many moves we've had because of how many neighbors we've had. We've had a lot of neighbors, you know, 15 different homes. That's a lot of neighbors. And we've had some great neighbors. Uh, we've had some neighbors that we never met. Anybody live in a place where it's just like, you never see those people, you know, you have those neighbors. And, and we had some not so great neighbors, you know, neighbors that would uh, fight with each other in front of our, our doorway. So that's not great. So my, my reflection was, what was it that made those good neighbors Good. You know, what were those characteristics and qualities? And maybe you could think about that for yourselves. Have you had good neighbors? And if so, what made them good? You know, what things did you appreciate? And then, of course, we could take that further to say, and have I been a good neighbor? You know, if I'm honest, there are times where I was a good neighbor, and there was a while there where I wasn't a great neighbor. I just didn't see the priority of it. Now I'm committed to being a good neighbor, but I wasn't always the case. And, and so the passage that we're going to head into today, as we're continuing our series in Luke, Jesus is in this section. He's doing all kinds of teachings with the disciples. He's he's inviting people to follow him. He's showing them what it looks like to follow him. And and what we're heading into is this understanding that our life in Jesus is an extraordinary one. And so that's what he leads us in. And and so as we continue today, what we're gonna find is is that you can have an extraordinary life by being a good neighbor. You can have an extraordinary life by being a good neighbor. And so I'm gonna invite you to take a look at your Bible. So if you have your Bible... I hope you do. I shared in the first service. So I was, uh, my last week, it was really cool. So Shelley was preaching here and then I was preaching at an international church in Casablanca, Morocco. So I got to preach and then I got to go home in the afternoon to watch her preaching here. It was really cool. But in the, in the message I shared there, I said, you know, so if you have your Bibles and the youth are like, and I hope you do, you know, nobody else in the church did, but that was all right. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today, and we're going to start in verse 25, picking up from where we left off a couple of weeks ago. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read through verse 37 this morning. And Luke writes, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So Jesus here saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Notice one of the things Jesus does is as we ask him questions, then he kind of turns it back around on us and asks us questions too because he's trying to help draw out what's already in our heart. And so he does that for the lawyer. And he says, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Man, that's that's something we should pay attention to. The man asks, What do I do to inherit eternal life? He gives an answer, and Jesus says, You're right. And then Jesus, uh, the lawyer continues to ask questions. He says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Anybody ever re- anybody watched the movie Princess Bride? Come on, don't, don't be ashamed. I read that half dead sometimes, like he's mostly dead. Nah, we got it. All right, I'm going to keep reading. Sorry, that is not in scripture. Now, by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he said to him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. These are the very words of God. may be seated this morning. As I was reflecting on this passage my mind actually went to two other passages of Scripture where Jesus marvels. In one case, he marvels at the belief of someone, and in another case, he marvels at the unbelief of another. And these examples I was thinking of actually had a lot to do with neighboring. And the case I was thinking of is, if you jump back to Luke chapter 7, we've been in that passage where Jesus encounters a centurion. And this centurion wanted to be a good neighbor for his servant, he wanted to ask Jesus to heal his servant. And so the centurion, uh, Jesus is approaching his house in Capernaum. But even before the man, uh, Jesus approaches, the centurion sends someone from his household to say, I am not worthy for you to enter into my house, but just say the word and I know that my servant can be healed. And what does Jesus say? He marveled at the man's faith. But it's in the context of the centurion being a good neighbor. Now I want you to jump back even further to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is speaking in the synagogue in Nazareth, and as he's speaking in the synagogue in Nazareth, he shares from the scroll in Isaiah, and after he shares from the scroll in Isaiah, then the question of faith arises, and Jesus gives two examples of two Gentiles who exhibit great faith and says, these are the examples that you should follow to this Jewish crowd. And the Jews in the synagogue that day got so upset with Jesus, they want to throw him off a cliff. And uh, it's not in Luke, but if you go to Mark chapter six, verse six, it gives us the thoughts of Jesus. And because of the response of the crowd in Nazareth, Jesus marvels at their unbelief. Because of their unwillingness to be good neighbors, he marvels at their unbelief. So my reflection was this as I looked at this passage. I thought, you know, I sure hope Jesus marvels at my belief and not my unbelief. And that's what I want for all of you this morning. May we live as such good neighbors. May we live with such faith in Jesus that we live as good neighbors. That's the invitation we have. As we step into the extraordinary life that Jesus offers us, we're called to be good neighbors. And we're called to three things out of this passage. And the first is this. The example we have is that we can live extraordinary lives by loving God. That's where it starts. We can live extraordinary lives by loving God. So the lawyer, he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus flips the question around on him and says, well, what do you think? And, and the guy says, well, he quotes from Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema, which was something that every Jew would recite daily, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. He starts there. So that's where we have to start. If we're going to live an extraordinary life, and if you think about an extraordinary life, it's both now and forever. Let us not forget the question the lawyer is asking is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so then he gives an answer, and the first is loving God. So how are you doing in that area? Do you love God with all of your heart, with all of your passions and your desires? Is God at the center of it all? Do you love God with all of your soul and your strength? Is everything that you say, is everything that you do in alignment with a love for God? Are you raising your family with a love for God? And then what about your mind? Are you immersing in God's word so that his narratives become your narratives? Are you having God thoughts? Do you meditate on the words of Jesus? If you love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, these are ways that you express that. You spend time with God. Are you singing songs about him? Maybe in the car, are you listening to things that help reinforce the love for God? Are you taking time for prayer with him? Are you spending time with God? That's what it looks like to love God. We were talking with our kids around the dinner table a night or two ago about this conversation about loving God, and it was brought up in the context of our kids were talking about the movie Boss Baby. Not that I recommend this movie, but this is a movie they were talking about. So the premise of the movie Boss Baby, if you've not seen it, is that the love of puppies is getting stronger than the love of babies, and so a boss baby comes in to set things straight. (laughs) So here was my kids' reflection. I thought this was an interesting one. So they give this pie chart that shows, you know, the love of puppies is greater than the love of babies. And what my kids said is, Dad, there was no slice for love of God. What an interesting thing for my kids to pick up on. And so then they started to reflect and say, yeah, it should be like 1% love of babies, like 1% love of dogs, like 1% love of video games, because they're going to throw that in, you know. (laughs) And I actually said, no, guys. God means to be a hundred percent. He wants us all. God is jealous for us. So the question for you this morning is: do you love God with your all? Is everything else just details? That's what God means for us. So you can have an extraordinary life by loving God. But then the lawyer continues and it shows us that you can have an extraordinary life by being a good neighbor. You can have an extraordinary life by being a good neighbor. Because where the lawyer continues is then he quotes from Leviticus 19.18, he says that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two things together, loving God and loving your neighbor are what we call the great commandment. It's one of the core values of our church that we live the word, which is loving God and loving others. So this is really important to us. And, And then what the lawyer does is he continues. And so he wants to define this. So basically what he says is, and now who is my neighbor? You see, the lawyer wants to have an eternal life. And so if loving God and loving your neighbors is what's required, well then who are the people I have to love? That's what he's asking. Who am I obligated to show love to? Why would he have this question? He's asking this question because in the first century there was a, uh, w- a book of wisdom, the Sirach, where there was a verse in there, chapter 12, verse one, and it says in there, it says, if you show kindness, know to whom you show it. Here's what that means. Ben Serra, the writer of this this book of wisdom, what he's saying is don't waste acts of kindness on people who don't deserve it. That's what he's saying. So that's why this lawyer begins to ask the question, well, then Jesus, define for me who my neighbor is. And we could look at that and feel like, man, how could somebody think that way? But if we're honest with ourselves, even if we wouldn't verbalize it, do we sometimes live in such a way that we would prefer to show acts of kindness to these people, but maybe not to these people? It's a good question for us this morning. So whether we would verbalize it or not, we may with our lives be asking Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who am I uh, to show love to? So that's why this is an incredible parable for us today. Because it still applies. It's still a question we're asking whether we admit it or not. And then Jesus gives an answer in parable form. So when Jesus gives these answers in parable form, really what's important for us to do is we need to understand this parable through the eyes of that first century Jewish audience. So if we understand it according to how they understood it, then we can apply it better to our lives. So a couple of things as it relates to this parable. The first is this. In the temple, there was three classes of people in the first century. There was priests, there were Levites who were like the assistants, so temple assistants, and then there was lay people. So let me ask you this morning. The lawyer, and what class would he have been in? Was he a priest? No. no. Was he a Levite? No, it doesn't say he was. So he would have been a layperson. This is important, and I'm going to use that to foreshadow where we're going to head here in a minute. And if we were to kind of map that over onto us today, not that there's classes of people in the church, there's not, that's not New Testament, but let's say it's a pastor, a deacon, and then a layperson. Those would be, let's say there's three different types of people in the church. And I'm going to share that as a way to kind of help map over our application today. Now let's go further. So he shares that there's a priest going down the road. So Jerusalem is at a higher elevation. You go down to Jericho because you're going down in elevation. Uh, We do have a a brief video that kind of shows you what this road was. So we were there last June with a bunch of people from Connection Point. And here's the road that Jesus is referring to. It was a real place. So when he's sharing a parable, he's sharing things that made sense to that audience. So going down to Jericho, this priest is going down for a couple of reasons. Number one, priests were wealthy. So they had vacation homes in Jericho. It was warmer in Jericho than in Jerusalem, especially in the wintertime. The other thing we know, that road was a very dangerous road to travel. People usually traveled in caravans so that they could be safe. Uh, It was actually, even in the fourth century, known as the the Red and Bloody Way. Uh, St. Jerome writes about this. So we know this was a dangerous road, so people would have understood that as the context. And so the other thing people would have understood, if this priest is traveling, he's probably not by himself, and he probably is traveling with an animal. So could he help that person? Absolutely, so why didn't he? That's a question. Couple of reasons. Number one, if you look at the description of the person, you don't know who he was. How can you tell someone's culture? By what they wear and how they speak. But this person, if you look at the description, says that they were left mostly dead, half dead is the actual scripture. So left half dead, And that they were stripped of their clothes. So that priest, when he passed by, he didn't know if it was a Jew or a Gentile. If it was a Jew, he was obligated to help. If it was a Gentile, he was not. So why wouldn't he help someone? Because if this person dies, then there's a measure of if you've touched a dead body, then you are now defiled, and you've got to go through a week-long purification system before you can serve in the temple again. So he's passing by and thinking, this priest, if I touch this person and they die, I've gotta go through week-long purification. That's not something I wanna go through. So then he passes on by. So the priest passed by. And then the Levite, he's traveling too. Now, did he see the priest pass by? We don't know, but could have. Is he just following the example of the priest in front of him? Maybe, but he passes him by too. And then he gives the example of a third person who's passing by, but now go back to what I shared. There was priests, there was Levites, and there was lay people. And who's the lawyer? a layperson, The priest passed by. The Levite passed by. Who's he thinking is going to be the hero of the story? The layperson. He's thinking, yes, I'm about to be the hero of the story. And then what does Jesus do? And then a Samaritan is passing by. Why would Jesus do that? Part of what Jesus does in a parable is he wants to poke and prod people and help them to wake up. And what he's saying is, I, you think you're going to be the hero in this story, but it's not you. It's, not, it's going to be someone who you consider to be an enemy of God. So how does that apply to us this morning? The pastor walks by. The deacon walks by. And we would think the layperson's the hero. And Jesus says, no. Think of whoever you can that you would consider to be far from God. And that's the hero in the story today. But that's why that, that lawyer, he struggled I mean, to even where Jesus says, who was the neighbor? He couldn't even say Samaritan. All he could say is the one who showed mercy. And what does Jesus say? Now you go and do likewise. What's Jesus doing? He's flipping the question on its head. The lawyer says, who's my neighbor? But Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. The question you should be asking is, who are you supposed to be a neighbor to? And the answer is, anyone who's in need. Despite of their religious background, their race, or any other consideration, that when you see a need, you're called to meet a need. How do we live extraordinary lives? We live extraordinary lives by being good neighbors. I'm going to invite Andrew Farmer to come. He's our creative arts and uh, online campus pastor. So he's uh, in the background, although he's on our opening announcement, so maybe you know Andrew from there. Andrew was my, uh, my roommate for our trip in Morocco. God bless him. We had conversations sometimes before we'd go to bed, and, and he was talking about how he and Tori had just moved and how God allowed him to be a good neighbor uh, a couple of weeks ago. Do you want to share that, Andrew?
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Tori and I had just moved into our first house uh, two weeks ago, and for all of you that don't really know me, um, that process for me was trying to find a house at least 10 minutes from the nearest person. Um, but <laughs> that uh, God had other plans with that. So we're actually in a neighborhood, and we have neighbors all around us. Um, so the second day we're there, I'm in the garage putting together a mower, and, and Tori's cleaning out the, the car, and the neighbors right across the street uh, come over, her and her, uh, a couple of her kids uh, come over to introduce themselves, and so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm just going to let Tori handle this, I don't, I don't need to go talk to anybody, <laughs> um, and so I just kind of stay in the garage, and um, so Tori goes out, introduces herself, and, and gets talking, and then I figure, okay, you know, God kind of convicted me of that and says, hey, let's let's go be Jesus, so. Uh, I went out there and started talking to her too, introduced myself and um, it's interesting to see just the similarities, Uh, you know, she has young children, same age as ours and uh, one of her sons is named Andrew, which is my name and he's the same age as my son Drew and they're going to the same school and it's just, you know, cool stuff. But what was really interesting was how quickly she opened up um, really her life. So within the first three to four minutes, um, conversation kind of turned and she shared uh, how they lost an infant uh, last year. Um, and so I, you know, I don't know where this relationship will go, and, and what we'll be able to do, and, and uh, you know, showing Jesus to her. But um, it just, it's just a, an amazing sign to see how quickly people uh, open up and are really wanting true, genuine relationship with with other people. And um, yeah, so Tori was just kind of saying how she has this image of when we moved in there not to say that there isn't other light in the neighborhood, but that we're a light, we're called to be a light in, in dark places and how uh, that just attracts people. And so, yeah, I mean. Awesome, thanks what, Andrew. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the question is, where do we start? Where do we start to be a good neighbor? And I would just say, let's just start with our actual neighbors. And it all starts with saying hello. Uh, Allow God to speak into that process. We don't need to make it complicated, we really don't. But just say hello, be kind, and be present, and God will take care of the rest. That we can live an extraordinary life by being good neighbors. And I love how then the lawyer defines, or Jesus kind of leads the lawyer in defining what it looks like to be a good neighbor. That we can live an extraordinary life by showing mercy. We can live an extraordinary life by showing mercy. Because what was the attribute that made that person a good neighbor? He says, the one who showed mercy So, here's a a really easy definition for you on what mercy is. Mercy is seeing needs and meeting needs. That's what mercy is. And God was merciful to us. He saw our need and He came to meet that need. That's what mercy is. So, how do we display mercy to others? We see needs and we meet needs. That's really where it begins. You know, for the priest and the Levite, they understood true religion to be a ritual and ceremony. But what Jesus is trying to break down for them is actually true religion is seeing needs and meeting needs. Even what we do here on a Sunday morning, this isn't just ritual and ceremony. We know there's needs in the community in which we live and our desire is to meet those needs. We want people to come in to be healed and inspired, to walk out in Jesus' name. That's our intention. So more than ritual and ceremony, what matters? Seeing needs and meeting needs. There was a study done at Princeton and a couple of professors were doing a study and they, they actually based it on this Good Samaritan parable. And so what they did is they set up this, this group among seminarians. So these guys that were studying for ministry, they want to be pastors, they want to be missionaries. And, and so they set up this study where they told different groups of people, different scenarios, and they had different things they were testing. But it all came down to one principle, that they gave one group this task to say, you're gonna go and give a prepared talk on the Good Samaritan. Oh, and by the way, you're late. They're already expecting you. So that was one of the groups. Another group, they said, hey, you're gonna go give this talk on the Good Samaritan. You've got plenty of time, but why don't you go ahead and head that direction? And what they did is they set up a scenario. They put a man slumped over, groaning, obviously in pain and in need of help in the middle of that path. And what they found is those that were told they didn't have very much time, some of them actually stepped over that person and kept going to their talk. Where others, 10%, so 10% of those people stopped to help the person. Whereas those that felt like they had time, 63% of those people stopped and helped the individual. Oftentimes the things that holds us back from seeing needs and meeting needs and being a good neighbor is time. We live in a busy culture. So maybe one of the things you need to do today is try to figure out, how can I start to create a little bit more time in my schedule? How can I do that? Because if I'm rushed, I'm probably not going to be a good neighbor. And then what does that look like? It, it looks like you pulling in at night to your, your, uh, into your garage. And as you pull in there, don't just stay there. If you see a couple of neighbors out, why not walk out of your garage and just say hello? See a need and meet a need. And the way that you do that is you're kind. Say hello, you're present. Engage them in conversation and allow God to do the rest. We don't have to go with a real big plan other than just to show up. How do we display mercy? We see needs and we meet needs. I want to go back to where we started in this parable. The first few verses, sometimes we separate those two, that we talk a lot about the Good Samaritan, but we forget the question that was asked that Jesus was answering. What he asked, the lawyer said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Too often in our Western context, we ask, what must I know to inherit eternal life? But this lawyer understood that which I know should make a difference in the way that I live my life. So where are you at this morning? Let's not just know Jesus up here, let's know him here that propels us to be the neighbors that Christ asks us to be. We need to see needs and meet needs. And watch as your neighbor's transformed. How do we live an extraordinary life? We live extraordinary lives by seeing needs and meeting needs in our neighborhoods and workplaces. And that's my prayer for you as you head out of this place today. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song. And as you're standing, maybe you're here today. And you would say, you have that question too. The lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so the answer is you need to know Jesus. Paul writes that if you believe in your heart, and if you confess with your mouth that you shall be saved, and as you have that knowledge of who Jesus is, it will make a difference in the way that you live out your life, and the way that you respond to others. So if that's you this morning, you'd say, that's me. I, I have that question, how do I inherit eternal life? And the answer is Jesus. With every head bowed in this room today, I, I want to put that before you. Before you leave from this place, if you'd like to make a decision to say, I want to devote my life to Jesus. I don't want God to have 1%, 5%, 10%, or 99%. I want God to have 100% of me. So if that's where you find yourself today, just raise your hand and we pray with you before you go to say, I need to know Jesus like that. I want the answer for eternal life. I wanna live for Jesus with everything. Anybody here today that say, that's me. I wanna say yes to Jesus today. Over here in the middle, anybody else that would say, that's me. I need knowledge of who Jesus is. I wanna live eternally with him. God, I just pray for each and every one in this room today. I thank you, Jesus, that you give us instructions on how we live extraordinary lives forever in your name. And so God, I pray that we wouldn't miss it. I pray, Lord, that the knowledge of you, the knowledge of your mercy in our lives would lead us to displaying mercy for others. As we see needs, help us meet needs. I pray for the person here today that raised their hand. I just thank you, God, for their heart to say, Jesus, I want to put you at the center today. So I just, we rejoice in this life being dedicated to you. And Lord, I just pray that if there's others in this space today, as we close in song, I pray that they would step out to say, I need to know this Jesus too. I just pray that we wouldn't hold anything back, but that we give everything to you, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite Pastor Mark to come, our youth pastor. We had at least one raise their hand. If there were others, all we wanna do is simply give you information on how you follow Jesus for a lifetime. So if that was you today, if you wanna step out and meet with Pastor Mark, and we'll have some prayer team members come and meet with you, give you a Bible and information on how you follow Jesus for a lifetime. But let's close in song.